This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity in Houston, Texas, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America. Please join us for worship on Sundays at 8, 9, and 11.15, and visit us online at holytrinityrec.org. Enjoy the sermon. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Uh, just to clarify, this is a sermon uh, that is primarily from Father Stephen, uh, Bishop St- Stephen Scarlett, who is a bishop out on the West Coast in a uh, affiliated uh, church with the ACNA. All right, the second Sunday after Christmas is one of a handful of feasts on which the prayer book provides an Old Testament lesson for the epistle. Today it was from Isaiah 61. And this passage uh, is the same passage that Jesus read and preached about in his first act of public ministry in the synagogue in Nazareth. And he proclaimed himself to be the fulfillment of this prophecy. The messianic prophecy of of Isaiah 61 is closed in the Old Testament concept of the Jubilee year, which is written about in Leviticus 25. In that, God commanded Israel that every 50th year was to be a year of jubilee. In the book, it says, You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to its inhabitants. This is from chapter 25, beginning verse 9. In the jubilee year, all land was to be returned to its original owner. In Israel, all land belonged to the families of the tribes of Israel by right of inheritance. The land could not be sold. The most one could do was to sell the rights to one's property until the Jubilee year. And that's when the property would be restored to its original owner. This prohibited the accumulation and control of property by just a few people. Slaves were also released during the Jubilee year. One way a person could survive if he had become poor was to sell himself, his family, and his labor to another person. The Jubilee regulations limited the degree to which he could do this and provided for an eventual freedom. Now, it doesn't appear that the Jubilee regulations were observed in any sustained way in the life of Israel. The the oppression of the poor by the rich who had not returned property had not canceled debts or set people free was the chief complaint of prophets. Amos 4.1 says uh, that these are people who oppress the poor and who crush the needy. And in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 11, he said, you trample on the poor. So God, through Isaiah, promised that a day would come when the Messiah would fulfill the promise of the Jubilee year. And in Isaiah, it expands the Jubilee promise. It talks of opening the prison to those prison to those who are bound. Now, this didn't mean that murderers would be set free because the law would have had murderers put to death, not put in prison. The prisons here would be debtors' prisons filled with those who had been exploited by economic activity that was ungoverned by scriptural principles. Isaiah talks about recovery of sight for the blind, about healing for the brokenhearted, about joy for the mourners, and a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Uh, 
Now these transformations call to mind uh, Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes and in Mary's Magnificat. The promise of Jubilee connects with our hopes for, a new, and, for new and better things that accompany the beginning of a new year. Uh, how many of us make resolutions to live a new way, or, and it reflects a, a desire that we have to begin again or have a fresh start? And however much of the new year promises that we make go unfulfilled, uh, because they just we end up returning to our old usual patterns. And this is so because the promise of Jubilee requires the presence of the one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord rests. Just mere human willpower and resolve is not enough to bring in a truly new year. Now for this reason, we ought to be cautious about getting caught up in the annual practice of making Uh, resolutions that may be destined for failure. We ought to place greater emphasis on the ongoing work of God in our lives, the daily renewal through the Holy Spirit of which the Christmas Day Collect speaks. For us, the Jubilee is a continual experience, not merely an annual wish. We're continually putting off the old man through repentance and confession, and we're continually putting on the new man through the grace that God gives us. We're continually being set free from sin and guilt, fear and harmful patterns of behavior. We're continually learning to live and think in new ways. Moreover, the popular sense of change in the new year tends to focus on things that are temporary, whereas God's work within us focuses on things that are eternal. For example, people resolve to get thin exercise more, or improve their lives in various ways. There is nothing wrong with these goals, but they are not necessarily connected with holiness or virtue. It's quite possible to get thinner or get in better shape and drift farther away from God at the same time. The change that accompanies the acceptable year of the Lord is focused on different things. God teaches us to love in new ways. He helps us to acquire new virtues that replace our old, natural, sinful tendencies. He gives us the grace we need to grow in faith, hope, and charity. We will understand and experience the proclamation of Jubilee to the extent that we focus on these interior things. As we think about doing new things in the new year, we ought to consider what the desired change means in terms of our faith. For example... If our New Year's resolutions include diet, we ought to think in terms of avoiding gluttony and cultivating self-control and a healthy enjoyment of the good things God has given us. The focus ought to be on the spiritual dimension of life in the body, not merely on what we look like or what others think of us. God doesn't really care whether or not we have abs of steel or look like the model in the commercial. For us Christians, any resolve to change must be connected to a renewed commitment to prayer. God changes us by his grace, which we experience chiefly through prayer. The reason so many resolutions fail is that they are rooted in mere human will and determination and not in God's grace and power. Christmas teaches us that we must, by God's grace, we, we must become by God's grace what we are not and cannot become by mere nature. 
The key to a successful resolution regarding prayer is changing our habits and reordering our time. We may say that we don't have time for prayer. That's just like saying, in essence, that we don't have time to be a Christian. It is rather like an athlete who says he doesn't have time to work out, or a musician who says he doesn't have time to practice uh, his instruments or whatever he does or his vocals. In the hustle and pace of our world, devotion to God is always giving way to some other thing that is temporarily more urgent, but certainly inconsequential. Changing this pattern is the proper focus of our New Year's resolve and the pathway to a new experience of God's grace and power. So when we commit ourselves to the life of prayer, the promise of the New Year, the promise of Jubilee becomes our regular experience. In Christ, we are no longer stuck in the pattern of resolution and failure that characterizes the world. Rather, Christ continually sets us free binding up our hearts when they are broken, setting us free from our sins, comforting us when we are sorrowful, anointing us with the oil of joy. For in Christ, now is the time of the Jubilee. Now is the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen.